Welcome to your found family podcast where we don't just have a heart to heart, we connect soul to soul. I'm your host, Lizzie, a certified coaching practitioner who found family outside of blood family. In our found family, you are accepted and assured that you are not alone. Subscribe and tune in for educational and empowering soul chats with women from all over the world, talking about well-being, personal growth and development, and mental and emotional health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Found Family. I'm really excited. I have another special guest with me here today, Lori, and we are going to be talking about understanding narcissistic personalities. Lori is a former federal probation officer with a master in justice, a degree in cultural anthropology, and she's also a certified life coach. She is originally from California, but has been an expat for 14 years. Through her work, she shows you how you are your first home through her higher self letter writing technique and customized guided visualizations and affirmations. So beautiful. Hi, Lori, and welcome to Found Family. Hey, Lucy, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Of course, I am really excited too. And I know that you and I have been chatting offline about narcissism and we have a lot to, to share. So I am excited to you know, chat with you about this topic, especially during the month of May, as this is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think mm. it's a very important topic to offer you know, people support um, through navigating this, this topic. And identifying who in their lives might might be narcissists. Yeah, and I love how you said that identifying in your life who might be a narcissist because oftentimes we do have these people in our life and we don't know it. We're not really aware of, oh my gosh, my mother, my father, my sister, or my husband or spouse is a narcissist because we're just living with them day in and day out and we've become accustomed to their behavior and we're not really thinking, you know, are they high functioning, are they not? Are they dysfunctional, are they toxic? So I love that you said that. It's very important. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so to kick us off, the question is, what is a narcissist? Yeah, it is. It is the starting point, isn't it? You know, when I was a federal probation officer, I remember I was given the, it was the DSM-4 then, now it's the DSM-5, which is how psychiatrists and psychologists diagnose narcissists and other cluster A, B, and C personality disorders. And I remember reading through these five bullet points that a narcissist had to basically qualify for. And I was like, whoa, this sounds oddly familiar. <laughs> yep. So basically, yeah. I think where I'd like to start in answering that question is to identify that there are different types of narcissists. Mm. When we think of the narcissist, we think of the grandiose narcissist, the person who's like, me, 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 look at me. But there are different types of narcissists, like the covert narcissist or the introverted narcissist, as well as the noble narcissist. That narcissist looks like they're doing really wonderful things in the world, really philanthropic, but really it's got an an ulterior motive or an agenda laced with it. Mm. So a narcissist is somebody who operates from this space of always having an ulterior motive or an agenda. They are not somebody who's generating their own supplier, their own sense of identity from within themselves. They are really looking for other people in their life that they can generate this supply from, that they can control, that they can, can possess. And they have a script in their mind of what life is supposed to look like and what relationships are supposed to look like. If it doesn't follow that script, then they have all kinds of behaviors and all kinds of ways that they try to pull you and lure you back in to make sure that that script comes true. 
So a narcissist is somebody who doesn't generally speak, have generally speaking, have empathy. They're somebody who is so focused on themselves and making sure that their needs and their desires are met, usually based on control, wanting a lot of control, mm -hmm. and therefore stealing or draining you of your energy and sometimes even obviously your identity. Wow. Beautifully worded and said. And what an incredibly powerful visual to, to use like script writing and energy extraction. I was following along mentally with these pictures in my mm -hmm. head because it was such a great way to describe it. And that is, it's, again, as you said, it's like understanding the differences. And as I'm, you know, hearing like what you're saying, I'm even thinking about, I'm like, okay, so what, what, cluster or like where, you know, where does my mom sort of fall, fall under that? But I think that, you know, the most important um, step towards all of this is, as you just said too, is just like understanding um, the, the definition first. So that is like a really great starting point. And I think that a lot of questions that people might be having as they also sat there listening to you describing this and thinking about people in their lives and like, hmm, where does this person fit under this? What are some of the signs that we can yeah. see out there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do want to clarify that there is narcissistic personality disorder, NPD, which is a mental condition. And then we have people with narcissistic traits. And generally speaking, when we're little kids, we are supposed to sort of have these narcissistic traits, right? We need to learn them in order for us to survive. We need to learn from our mom and dads that we're sort of the center of attention so that way we don't put our hand on the stove and that sort of thing. What happens with the narcissist or any of the other cluster personalities is that they don't emotionally mature. So generally speaking, we have this phase in our life, right, where mom and dad's looking at us and they're grooming us and they're training us so that way we can hopefully get out into the world and we can survive and we can thrive. But what happens with these other personality disorders and the NPD, the person with narcissism, they somehow don't grow out or phase out of that. Now, there's always that question of that nurture side of things, or is it something that is inherited? I do think personally it is both. If you've got disorders already in the family, then there's a chance that that's going to happen already. But then, of course, how the child is reared. So what you will see, generally speaking, let's look at the covert narcissist uh, just for, for something that's a little bit different than the grandiose narcissist, because mm. we're very familiar with the grandiose. But the covert, that narcissist shows up in kind of playing the victim a lot. They're playing on your pity. So they might be a bit more introverted. They might be a bit more shy. Um, they tend to come off very intellectual, but oftentimes they're not as intellectual or as smart as we actually think they are because they're presenting this image that they know a lot. Sometimes it's because they don't say so much, but then when they do say something, it sounds kind of quippy, sounds kind of witty, sounds very interesting. But what happens with that covert is over time, as somebody's living with that covert, they start to sabotage holidays. Oh, I don't have time or energy for holidays. I'm just not interested. I don't want people to come in my home. I don't want to see this. I don't want, you know, I just, so I'm burnt out. That might be, a, those are a sign of behaviors and symptoms that happens with the covert. The other thing is they might tell you they don't want to go outside. You know, they're just really not interested in being out in the world. They'd rather stay home. They want to read all day long. And you know, what's wrong with you? Why do you always want to go outside? Why don't you just stay in here with me? So these might, again, be some sort of symptoms and signs and behaviors. If you're in a, a relationship with the covert, 
very early on, if you were intimate with them, they might be intimate frequently with you and then suddenly it's dry, there's nothing, and there's no compliments to you. Mm. They start to slowly, not like a grandiose narcissist, but they will start to try to diminish your self-esteem with just little kind of, mm, just like they'll just, just kind of peg you, you know, and you don't really feel it straight away. It's as time goes on that you start to go, what's wrong with me? How come I don't feel so well? So another symptom is actually you. What's going on with you? Is your hair falling out perhaps? Are you feeling like you want to sleep all the time? I had a client recently who was in a relationship with a covert narcissist. Mm. And all of a sudden she was saying, Lori, I don't know what's going on with me, but I just want to sleep until noon. I, I don't have any energy. She's a high energy person. And those can be the signs already straight away that you're, you're possibly in a relationship with a covert. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I, I didn't know too much about covert narcissism until I posted something on TikTok actually about narcissism and someone commented and said, you know, if, if someone is not the grandois like type of narcissist, but they still have all these other things and they still do the guilt tripping and the blaming and, yeah. the, the, you know, manipulation, like what would you call that person? And so I did a lot of research and there was some mm. articles that I found on psychology today. And that was sort of the first time that I heard that word covert. Mm. So it's interesting, as you said, you know, that they play the victim, like that victim card. Yeah. And then the other yeah. thing that came to mind too is, um, I love how you said that, you know, unfortunately, when we do have those jabs, it's like that expression, death by a thousand cuts, where it's like, yeah you know, little, little paper cuts here and there, like it kind of hurts in the moment, but you might not understand like, well, what gave me this paper cut? Or when you find a bruise and you're like, where did I bang my arm against? Like what, but internally, literally and figuratively, you're like hurting inside. So that's kind of yeah. the, the visual that came to mind when you, when you said that. And it's, it's remarkable how narcissists have that way of like infiltrating your brain. And I yeah. think that was something that I started subconsciously realizing, and as a very highly sensitive person and as an empath, yeah. I always had these inklings, you know, the signs that I was experiencing from a personal standpoint, living with a narcissist is, why don't I trust myself? Why do I second guess mm. all of my decisions? Why yes. do I feel really badly about something? Why do I constantly feel guilty, feel remorse? You know, that, those were my signs of... yeah you know, the psychological damage, like all of the mental yeah. abuse because, mm. and, and I didn't realize again, as we talked about, like that it even was because you think like, if you're blamed for something, even if it's something small, it's like, well, maybe I deserved it. Maybe I actually did something that deserved a slap on the hand. So you start to yeah. get accustomed to getting that kind of verbal abuse and, you know, the victim card is like the easiest trap for us, the victims to feel like, well, maybe I made that person feel that way. And so it's this constant, you know, feeling of like, well, I, I should be taking the blame. Like, maybe this is me. Maybe this is me. So, and that's what they want you to do. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. There's that, all that blame shifting and all that word salad. So this is something that would happen in my home is just like, 
I would go through what you went through, like, okay, a goal was set here. I want you to do Lori ABC. And then I would go, I'm even going to do D. Then I really am safeguarded. Yeah, you're feeling Ooh, me off. Yep. Oh. So then I do A through D. And then I'd go back and I'm like, I did A through D. And then goal increase. It's like, well, you didn't do E. Well, wait a minute. There wasn't even a D. And now there's an E. So this is very classic narcissistic increasing the goal on that HSP or on that empath and then that empath going and doing it again and then being in that perpetual hamster you know wheel and what the narcissist then is doing is mm, yep I'm in her craw I've baited her I've hooked her in I know that I'm in control she actually may not realize that I'm in control but she might but it doesn't matter I've got control I've got possession mm -hmm. the other thing with them too is they enmesh themselves in you so you you know how you were kind of saying it like feels like they're in my soul. That's exactly what happens. You start to lose your identity. You're not aware of where they end and where you begin. And in my house, I always like felt like with my, with my dad that I was more his girlfriend than his daughter. It was a really strange thing. Um, I don't remember being touched at all or anything like that, but there was just such strong enmeshment, no privacy always overlooking my shoulder, getting on the phone. You know, we had landlines back then when I was a teenager. So getting on the phone and listening in and I'd be like, we hear you breathing. And then he would just close the phone, like no big deal, like whatever. It's like, what, what is this? Yeah. So very strong enmeshing could be another sign that your listeners also might experience and not even be aware of. It's actually a term to, to tune into, to find out more about enmeshment. Emotional incest is another word that is often used oh. with enmeshment. Yeah. And that's where, where you have this strange sensation that there are just a lot of boundaries that are super blurred, you know, like, especially when it comes to your privacy, when it comes to your intimacy, when it comes to your vulnerability, another way that the emotional um, incest might happen is, you know, them walking around naked or, you know, they're wearing their bathrobe, but you see their bits underneath because they don't, you know, try to cover it from you. And you're a little kid going, something doesn't feel right here. So those sorts of things might be things that your listeners want to want to look out for. The other signs and symptoms are always that guilting. You, you talked about that. It's like, if you're in a relationship where there's this undercurrent of strong guilt and you're perpetually feeling guilty, shameful, worried about what they're going to say, or shall I say this a different way? You're walking on eggshells, you're tiptoeing, you're tap dancing around subjects and not addressing the elephant in the room. You're probably living with someone who's disordered. It could be borderline. It could be histrionic. It could be narcissism, but that's probably what's going on there. Absolutely. And the, the lack of self-identity, that, that, right there strikes such a chord in me because like it really resonates with me because when you said about how the lines are blurred that was definitely another sign is that i could not distinguish anymore what was my mom's voice and what was my voice because every time i would try to do something or say something like to the point where i wasn't even allowed to feel my feelings if i would tell yeah. her i feel sad mm. about this no, no, no. You think you feel sad. What you actually feel is this. And oh, I yeah. have not the best memory, but I was definitely, that was sort of taken and used against me because a yes. lot of the times if I didn't remember something or if I thought I remembered something, but there were gaps, you know, every time that I would try to find comfort and support, you know, confiding in my mom, she would like rewrite the story according to how yeah either she remembered it or how she wanted me to know the story. And that was really difficult because then it made me guess myself 
even more. And it, you know, like, and so I actually formed, um, I had very high levels of anxiety and my therapist told me that I suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder because that Mm -hmm. was a way for me to try to manage my anxiety. And I never like pieced it together in that way, but because of this lack of internal control, because of her need for control, as you talked about earlier, you know, that was another sign. And I would say that also something that came to mind was, um, you know, the constant need of feeling to, um, like, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, um, if I would say, for example, oh, I, I saw you like going through my diary and she'd be like, no, I didn't. Oh, no, I didn't. Like, you know, like defensive and and constantly feeling like they need to like be on guard, you know, like she was always feeling like if I would confront her about something, the victim card a hundred percent was played, but she used to go through my journals. She used to go through my desk and then she would play this, you know, well, I was just trying to clear it out for you. I was just trying to do you a favor. You know, here I am doing something for you and you're so ungrateful. How can you not see that I'm trying to do this for you? It was this constant, like, and those again were signs. Like I knew internally that something felt off, but I didn't understand why I was feeling this way or why, you know, yeah. Like, but yeah. I felt it in my soul. Like it was just yes. a discomfort that I felt like I could never talk to her about it either. You know? So yeah. You said something really important about not remembering. Mm. I don't, and you said it like, I don't have that good of a memory anyway. And here's what I feel is happens from that because I, I needed to wake up to this. And this, I started to wake up to probably four or five years ago when I met my husband. One of the things that happens when you're with a disordered parent whether it's NPD or it's bipolar or it's a borderline um, is like selective amnesia or victim amnesia. Mm. And it's through the cognitive dissonance that they bring in. So someone who is disordered will do this of like, I hate you. Wait, don't leave me. Or no, I don't love you. No, you're amazing. So you've got two completely opposite, different feelings, different vibes, different statements being told. And you're like, oh my God, which one is true? And when that's happening over and over and over again, and then they're coupling that with stonewalling you, the silent treatment, as well as that famous statement, I never said that. I never said that, or I didn't do that. Even though you saw them with your own eyes, then the intention is to dizzy and spin you and confuse you and to hopefully get you to forget, to pretend like it never even happened when the truth is it did. One of the things that happened for me, I suppose, was maybe one of my saving graces, and maybe this also happened with you and probably a lot of your listeners, is I journaled. I journaled since I was nine. But it's, here's what's really funny is my father gave me the journal. <laughs> and then later on, <laughs> who was reading the journal? My whole family was reading you too. the journal. Yeah. As you just said, you know, with your mom and your mom pretending like, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the difference. So your mom sounds a little bit more overt but I also had covert going on in my house. So the covert is sneaky and the covert's so subtle and the covert's not obvious. And because they can be pretty smart and introverted, you don't really question their behavior, especially if, an, if you have an overt in the house at the, at the same time, because the overt's so loud and so big with their energy and taking up all this space mm-hmm. that the energy doesn't go to the covert. So the covert plays on that and covert uses that to their advantage. So I had both energies going on in my wow. house. And I kept writing though, and writing was my saving grace because I would see the patterns, I would see the themes. And I woke up one day years and years after journaling 
and reading, wait a minute, everything is about your family. Everything mm-hmm. is about relationships. And there are themes here. Um, I need you to look at this, Lori, right? And it was because of this selective and victim sort of amnesia and the I never said that, that I, like you, would question it and say, well, geez, I'm, I'm crazy. This, this can't be right. And I can't question my family. I can't question my parents. But, you know, I didn't have um, a great experience with therapy in the beginning because therapists didn't diagnose any issues. There, it was just me sort of talking ad nauseum and getting nowhere. But I was always the one going to therapy, always the one willing to find out, to seek, to discover and explore mm. and wondering, it must be me. Like, what's going on with the rest of them? They're not going. They're not seeking help still to this mm-hmm. day. And they won't. Yeah. And it wasn't actually, believe it or not, until this January for what, 20, more than 20 years of therapy, that I had a therapist here in the Netherlands who officially diagnosed me with PTSD. Wow. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, I really actually felt very liberated. I really felt liberated. And he also said, you have trauma. You had abuse in the home. And the thing is, I would never use that word abuse. And I don't know if you experienced that as well, but I was like, I had two parents in the home. You know, I went to Catholic school in People think that you have to have physical abuse, but mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological abuse, all of this also does count. Verbal abuse, it all counts. Even if there is just some instances of having been heavily spanked, that also does count as physical abuse. But we as children, especially empaths, especially HSPs, you know, we, we internalize that. And then we say, oh, it was me and I must have done something wrong. And instead of questioning the behavior on the outside of the others, we say, "Mm, okay, it's going on in me and I'll keep trying to change this. And we keep then focusing on over-perfectionistic things, over-giving, over-explaining, over-justifying, right? Over-apologizing. And this shows up in our relationships later on in life Mm -hmm. as well. So your listeners who are also in partnerships where they feel like they over-justify, over-explain, et cetera, may have probably also had that original core wound from back at home as well. Absolutely. There was one thing, I I love everything that you've said, and I'm for, for those of you who um, are listening, this podcast is going to be recorded and put on my YouTube channel so you can see, see Lori and I talking and see all of my facial expressions and reactions as she's talking because I'm like, wow, yes, you hit the nail on the head. Like, this is resonating with me. Oh my goodness. Like, we are, you know, totally like on that same vibe and, and I, I see you and, and understand on such a deep level, like, you know, how you felt, what you went through, because I was, you know, like in the very, very same mental states and and thinking all of these things. But I want to quickly just touch upon what you shared about relationships, because Mm. what I actually had a break, like this was, I mean, I've had several breakthroughs and similar to you about four and a half years ago, when I hit my own personal rock bottom, that was when I started you know, my spiritual journey, my self-love journey, my self-identity journey, um, and doing things for me for the first time in my life. And it was incredible. And just, you know, this, like you feel so in sync with your higher self and it's just this beautiful liberation, the freedom that you get from that. Um, but what I realized is that 
there was a thought that I had like a couple of days ago. And so I'm glad that we're talking about this now because all these, these podcast episodes are like, you know, therapy sessions in and of themselves. And I love them and I'm so <laughs> grateful. It's just wonderful. And I, I had this realization that there was someone that I was dating like four and a half years ago, right before I had my personal like rock bottom, who now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, narcissist didn't realize, mm. but it was the same kind of behavior because what I realized is that I was trying so hard to like be perfect for my mom as, as you said, like this, perfection, yeah. this people pleasing, which is something that I've struggled with forever. Yeah. And, you know, I was always like, nice Lizzie, nice Lizzie. You can always, you know, and it's like, I didn't understand how to set boundaries with anyone in my life because I didn't know how to set boundaries with the person who I needed to first initiate those boundaries with. But the, the, the breakthrough happened when I was like, oh my gosh. So I didn't realize that oftentimes I felt like she was jealous of me. Oh, I felt yep. like we were competing and I felt yeah. like there was this constant need to compete with her. So it goes into like what, you know, what mm. you said about like the, the relationship, like the ancestral, like yeah. weird relationship. Like I thought I was in a relationship with my mom a lot of the time too. And yeah. like, that was even weirder for me, but yeah. like there was always this like underlying feeling of like, I have to compete. So I also felt like I was yeah. hit against my brother. My brother's four years younger yeah. than me. There was, Oh, you nailed comp it. Competition yeah. is like the underlying thing. And I realized yes. that this person that I dated, I felt like I was constantly needing to compete. Mm. And it was like, Oh my God. So that's also why things didn't work out with other people is because I was yeah. finding my mom in other people. And it's yep. like, you know, yep. it's crazy when like, when you hear these things conceptually, you're like, oh, you know, girls date their fathers or, you know, boys date their moms. And it's like, you hear these things as like concepts, but when it actually like, when you break it down, you're like, okay, but what about your parents? You know, like, that's just, you know, like if you really yeah. take that, that saying apart and you understand like, but what is it that you're seeking? What needs are you looking to fulfill? Like, yeah. why, why are yeah. you attracting the same kind of person? And it's because I felt like I needed to prove myself. And so I yep. thought the only way that I can be successful in a relationship is if I'm with someone that I can prove that I deserve to be in this relationship or that I can prove myself to them. And I remember that I wrote a note to myself, and this is giving me chills because I didn't piece this together until just now. Ooh. I wrote a note to myself when I made the decision to, you know, sort of emotionally cut ties with how my mom made me feel. And I wrote, I'll know that I'm with the person that I'm meant to be when I feel like I don't have to prove myself to them, you know? And like, yeah, finding yeah. that is the most beautiful thing. And it happened because I understood narcissism and understood my past. And yeah. like I did these self-awareness exercises to free myself in order to grow and to then find healthy relationships with people in general. It doesn't have to just be romantic relationship, but just people in general. So I just yeah. wanted to, to share that. There was something else that you mentioned, and I'm sure when I hear the playback, I'll be like, oh my gosh. But when you said relationships, I was like, I literally just thought about this. So I just- I love it. <laughs> I love, yeah. And I, and I love when you mentioned the piece about jealousy, because I think that's also really important for the listeners too. When you were asking about signs, symptoms, how do we know that we might be in something that's unhealthy? And that jealousy is a number one cue. And that feeling of this person is competing with me or comparing 
and you get to this place of despair because they're in the place of compare. And it always feels like a win-lose. When we're in healthy relationships, it's all about collaboration and creation and expansion and transformation and wanting to see the other person grow and witness them and their highest self. Unfortunately, when we're in a relationship with disordered people, Mm -mm. they want to see you operating at a much lower level and they want to keep pulling you down to their level because if you're going above, you're up leveling. They're like, Oh my gosh, I need you to come back down because I need you to, I need you to stay. I need you to give me supply. And, um, here's how you know that it's not working well is because you're, you're always jealous, even though this is something that they're feeling inside. You always do this, even though this is something that they're doing right. You never do this, even though it's the, they're the person who's never doing it or always doing it. And so these are very big signs. And if you're wow. bringing them into relationships or you end up in relationships where it's a win-lose, there isn't collaboration, there's constant compare, jealousy and possession, you feel possessive of the other or you're being possessed by the other, you're not in an expansive place. And here's the thing. It could be because you're seeking that approval because, you know, we wanted it from mom. We wanted it from dad. We didn't felt we got it. So we need to be recognized. We need to be praised. And I'm going to show you how amazing I am. That's why you chose me in this relationship. But the reality of it is we are our own supply. Mm. We, we are our first home. We don't need to seek home and refuge in others. When you are your first home and you get into a positive relationship that's based on win-win, and creation and collaboration, you get to come together with that other person who operates from themselves as their first home and then create an, an even higher functioning, harmonious, happy, healthy, beautiful home. I recognized this also with my father, constant competition. Ooh. And I would tell him all the time, you're my father, I'm, I'm your daughter and I love you. And what is this competition thing? I don't get it, it doesn't resonate and it doesn't feel good. And he would just keep jabbing and he would also give negative reinforcement when I thrive on positive reinforcement. That's something that he of course thrives on, negative reinforcement being the person that he is and comparing, constant comparing and constantly looking outside what everybody else is doing. What are they doing? What are they doing? We need to do that and one upmanship always one upping and never taking accountability, never oh. taking responsibility, oh. very rarely saying, I'm sorry. They will say sorry. Now I, you know, I've watched a lot of uh, vlogs. I've read a lot of blogs. I've done so much research on this subject and people say they never say sorry. No, 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 no. They will. They know I don't need to say sorry to bring this person back. But what your listeners need to look for are the patterns, the behavior, are they walking the talk? So when you say to them, hey, I have a concern. This behavior concerns me. I say it's an ongoing theme. And the person says, oh, I'm sorry. Now we need to watch. Are they actively trying to redesign an alliance with you mm. and actively making change? If you see that they are, they're honoring your non-negotiables, they are honoring your deal breaker, and they are looking at, okay, this is what this person needs for an honest, transparent, truthful relationship. I need to do that. And they do it. Great. They're not in a space of narcissism. But on the flip of that, if the behavior doesn't match the words, they are incongruent, then this is what we need to be looking for because that's not going to change. Absolutely. And that's the part where we, we start to fill in the blanks yeah. in our dissociation. When we dissociate and we black out and we have that victim amnesia and they did all that blame shifting, Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait a minute here. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you're the one saying sorry. Mm -hmm. You're taking all the accountability and all the responsibility. And they're like, mm -hmm, yeah, it was your fault. It was your fault. 
oof, we're in that win-lose situation, always on the losing side, not in a win-win. Yeah. Right. And I think that piggybacking on, on all of this information, which is so incredible and transformative, what are, are there other clusters? I know that we were talking about like ABC, is that the covert and the, is that, ah. those, or is there something else? Cause truthfully, that's actually something that I've heard, but I don't know too much about. So I'm sure that yeah. our listeners will also um, be grateful to hear a little bit more about, you know, yeah. what, what are the clusters like A, B, and yeah. C? So the cluster A, this is all your sort of, they classify it as odd or eccentric behavior. So these are like your schizotypal, your schizoid, um, paranoid PPD, paranoid personality disorder. So oftentimes, you know, you will see these people maybe being more, a bit more hermit-like. Um, they might even forego hygiene. So very, very different than the cluster B. The cluster B, this is your dramatic or emotional side. So this is where you're going to find the histrionic, you're going to find the borderline, you're going to find the narcissist, the NPD. The C, that's a very interesting one. This is the anxious one. So this is oftentimes where the OCD pops up that you had mentioned earlier. So they actually fall into the, the cluster C. Now you can have OCD symptoms, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you have a typed personality disorder. But yeah, OCD, dependence, dependent personality disorder, the avoidant personality disorder falls into the cluster C personality. So you can feel and hear the very difference uh, different personality types and the symptoms, if you will, that come with these disorders. Yeah. Mm. And A, B, and C. Yeah, that's super helpful. And now uh, a question that I'm sure most, <clears throat> excuse me, most of us are questioning and, and wanting to hear more about is what is the best way for us to communicate with a narcissist, whether they're in cluster yeah. A, B, or C? I know, right? Well, the, the narcissist is always in cluster B, but maybe well, there, will, there will definitely be different communication mm -hmm. strategies for each cluster. So you're more than likely going to communicate with someone in cluster A very differently than with someone in B and C. But answering directly the question about a narcissist, I love to say first tip is facts, facts, facts. What are the facts? Can you stick to the agenda? Can they stick to the agenda? Are they giving you a lot of word salad? And the way that I would do it when I was growing up is I would say, this is the topic on the table. I'm not hearing us address the topic on the table. So really, if you're able to operate from this fact and evidence and proof-based place, this will help you because oftentimes also with narcissists, sometimes we end up having to go to court, especially spouses who are now going through a divorce and need to co-parent and mm -hmm. keeping a journal and keeping a dialogue or a, sorry, a log with all of the dialogue that happened in a fast fact-based way, dates, times, locations, even what you were wearing and what was said is really, really important if you ultimately have to use this in court. Now that's going one level. If you don't have to use it in court, just on a daily basis, sticking to the facts is something that's really important. The second thing is I, I call something the three F's. This is something that if you use this with pretty much any disordered person, anybody actually doesn't even have to be a disordered person. It's feel, felt, found, and starting with I. I understand how you feel, or it could be, I appreciate how you feel, or I get how you feel. That moment that you say, I get how you feel, 
especially a disordered person is like, oh, they feel me, they get me. Now, you do not have to agree with this person. This is just a disarming tactic so that they'll stop hopefully attacking you, hopefully stop that word salad a bit. And then the next thing is, you know, I would have felt the same way. You know, if I were in your shoes, maybe I would have felt the same way. So that's the second F. And at the same time, I found that when we focus on solution, that we can move forward. So I'm not going to say that it works all the time, but it, it's pretty effective. I've used it with quite a few narcissists. And sometimes I have to repeat those three Fs in different ways over and over and over again. But usually what happens is they suddenly realize that their word salad isn't working. They back off a bit. And you've regained control in essence over that conversation. Mm -hmm. The third thing, and I don't know, you may have already talked about this, is gray rocking. Gray rock is where you basically become as boring as you possibly can be <laughs> in your physical appearance as well as in your communication style. So you use as less words as possible. So you say things like, hmm, that's interesting. Oh, didn't know that. Hmm, I'll take that into consideration. Get back to you. And you don't want to do it in an antagonistic way, because then, of course, that's going to backfire on you. But the less that you say, then the less they can dizzy and spin you. Mm -hmm. And also, the more boring you are, even in physical appearance, that's not exciting for the narcissist. So they're like, hey, what's going on? You know, this woman, for example, she's not putting makeup on anymore. She's not looking as beautiful as before. That coupled with your gray rock phrases and verbiage back goes, this person's not exciting. I'm not getting any energy from them. I can't gain supply. And ultimately they start to walk away and they start to leave. I'm a big fan of gray rocking, even in emails, chats, telephone, letter writing, in person, in verbal communication as well. Video recording uh, calls, absolutely the same. Hmm. I think another thing that's really important when we talk about you being your first home, guided visualizations, mm -hmm. you taking the time to see yourself from your highest self, from your future self, so that way you can pull your energy back into you while simultaneously anchoring into your body. So in coactive coaching, we talk about touchstones. So like, for example, if you're a gut-centered person, putting your hand there. So when you have these conversations with these people that are dysfunctional, toxic, et cetera, that you're actually continuously activating your soul space, your home space from within by touching, if it's your gut, if it's your heart, even while you're in conversation with that person, they won't even recognize that you're doing it. But the key is to get out of the head because we do that. We get into this, oh gosh, over analysis. I'm not doing things right. Mm -hmm. And so when we move down below, you know, the neck down to the body and we anchor in our touchstone, then we can be speaking from higher self to mm -hmm. this person rather than them owning our soul and draining, having a, you know, we're having a soul drain rather than a soul gain. So those would be my tips when dealing with the narcissist or even the person who has borderline and mm -hmm. histrionic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Those are really great tips. And the last one I, I actually hadn't heard of. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and thank you for sharing that. I think that it's almost, I don't know if it's similar to, or sort of like on the, on the opposite side, but what I think um, is interesting is that what I have found to be helpful is stepping more into me, like into the, so instead yeah. of, instead of it being more like, let me make myself appear physically or sound boring, what's been helping to keep sort of an arm's length of distance away from my narcissist is just like 
owning who I am and being unapologetic about it. So one thing, for example, is, you know, my mom's very against like tattoos and piercings. And when I, you know, had that personal face down in the arena, as Brene Brown talks about, and like this, this moment of like, I just felt broken when I started rebuilding myself and discovering my higher self, like, who am I really without the voice of my mom? Who am I? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to do with my future? What do I not want to do? You know, so I started asking myself these questions and seeking, you know, like kind of following that, that gut feeling of like, just what feels good? What gives me peace and comfort and excitement? And so as I started asking myself these empowering questions instead of disempowering questions, that was when I started to feel like I had a self-identity instead of, you know, this clone identity that a friend of mine had actually back in high school said, Mm. you know, Lizzie, you're your mom's daughter. You're not her clone. And that like, Oh, great friend. Still right to this day still like resonates in me because I'm like, that's such a great point. And I, again, didn't see that. But my point is, is that through these reflections and self-awareness exercises and empowering questions that I asked myself, I started becoming so in love and obsessive, like my personal growth and just so in love with myself that I'm like, you know, I don't care what she thinks or says about me anymore. Like if she wants me to be this perfect daughter in this way that she sees me, I'm going to get my piercings. I'm going to get my tattoos. Like I have, you know, like mine are really small, but I have like six of them, you know, they're like, I have one on my back and one over here. And like, I have, you know, my, my cartilage pierce and three piercings and that makes me feel good. Like this is a way for me to express my creativity. And I see it as like art. And when I first told her about like the first two of them, I think, you know, and she went ballistic and this and that, I was like, I internalized this feeling of like, I am unapologetically me. And so it's almost like the more, the more I started acting and looking the way that I wanted to look and act, she's also, I think, starting to realize that she doesn't have the control or the power over me. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of like similar to what you're saying about acting, you know, in a way, but it's like, I think that people, our listeners can try both things, you know, like I think that yeah, acting boring and, and seeming like, and, and maybe like a, an empowering word could be like, you know, um, don't supply your energy, you know, like in a way that yeah. to your point, and I love how you keep saying that is like, they're trying to use you as a battery to recharge themselves. Yeah. Like, just take the batteries out. Like, just don't be their yeah. battery anymore, you know? Yeah. And it's like, whatever that means, like, just don't supply what they need. And yeah. for me, what I found is that the more in alignment that I act with how I choose to act, and I'm disassociating with like her image of me, it's like, I think she's starting to just realize like, okay, well then this is just like how it's going to be. Like you're, you've got these tattoos, you've got these piercings and it's still hard, you know, cause I know we talked before we jumped on that I still have contact with her. Yeah. This is my way of like, you know, also helping to give some insight for our listeners about like, yeah. you know, if you do feel like you're, well enough on your like personal development journey that you feel like you've got the strength to be like, you know what? I, this is who I am. I'm unapologetic about it. I think that that's like a really empowering way to communicate with a narcissist. Um, 
And I think that if someone is not quite there yet, it's okay. Like one thing that I learned about myself is to be patient with myself and to be very kind to myself as I'm learning and growing and discovering things about myself for the very first time, even though I'm 29, it's like, there are still things that I'm learning about myself. Yeah. And it's been four years, but it's like, it's beautiful. Every time I learn something new, I'm like, it gives me more reassurance and more of that, like the ball is back in my court. Um, And then I know we've talked about this a little bit, but like boundary setting is another really great communication is, you know, being able to say, okay, you know, I, I live states away. So that's also been very helpful, but it, yeah. it had gotten to a point where there were so many check-ins and emails and like, you know, or phone calls and like, where are you going? Who are you with? What are you doing? And it's like, oh, yes. listen, I have a lot on my plate. Like there's a lot that I'm doing right now. I'm fine to talk, but like once a week or once every other week, you know, like let's text. Like I tried to, mm. I think compromising is also, I mean, sometimes I recognize that some narcissists are either not capable of compromising or not willing to compromise. Um, It's taken a lot of me being strong in myself to get to this place with my mom. But I think what's been helping to, you know, like mend our relationship is the fact that I'm being honest and unapologetic and setting boundaries and trying to find compromises. So like voice messages instead of actual phone calls, texting instead of, you know, because sometimes we can talk for two hours and a lot of the time it's still condescending or like, let's talk yeah. about religion and politics, two of the to- like topics that I absolutely don't like talking about because they're huge triggers right. for me. So establishing that, like, but I think yeah. again, what's first and foremost, most important is like, you have to identify like, what are your, as you said, like your non-negotiables, your, yeah. you know, bottom lines. Like once yeah. you identify those things and you call them out by name, then you can start to put up the guardrails and be like, okay, yeah. I'm going to keep myself in my safe space, even while we're talking, you know, and, and sort yeah. of give yourself that power that you have within you and just learn how to use it and, and use it. Yeah. yeah. I think you, you used a, a powerful phrase, which is really important about coping strategies. And I do want to underscore with respect to gray rock, it's a coping strategy and it's generally used with very dangerous narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's usually used when people are in a relationship with a narcissist. So what oftentimes happens, especially with covert narcissists, they look like this gentle person, but they actually tend to be one of the most dangerous. They're kind of the ticking tie bomb. And so those wives, generally speaking, it's not to say that husbands don't have wives that are covert nurses happen as well. But it is more often that a wife is in a relationship with a covert narcissist. They do have to be very, very careful mm. to um, not endanger themselves. And so gray rock tends to be a coping strategy to make sure that they're in a place of safety. Mm. So I don't want to give your listeners the impression at all to not live from the space of truth and transparency and owning themselves and who they truly are and living from their soul power. I just want to be clear that the gray rock method is a coping strategy if you are especially in a highly inflamed mm-hmm. type of type of arena. And you also hit the nail on the head about, you know, there are different forms of contact to have with this narcissist. Mm-hmm. And it could be limited contact, very minimal contact. It, it's just like you said, maybe I only do emails and I don't, you know, get on the phone with this person. 
I do say that the shorter the bursts, the better, because narcissists are looking, they, I call them interviewers, you know, they're constantly interviewing you. Ooh. They're interviewing you, yeah, because they want to get this information. And the more that you talk, then the more I'm actually storing it all as a narcissist or as a borderline in my mind so that I can ultimately use it against you, or I can, you know, put forth that cognitive dissonance and get you questioning yourself or saying, you know, remember when you said that to me? And then that's when they start to ding and jab you. So mm -hmm. actually the less that you say, which is a little bit the gray rock method as well, the better because they're, they cannot arm themselves with all your empathic tendencies and then use it against you. So shorter wow. bursts like you're doing is mm -hmm. very good. I'm yeah. so glad that you brought that up because if you think about each topic that you share with a narcissist, to your point that it's like you're, you're giving them the, the questions to their interviews and they store it yeah. and they use it. It's like the mm. image that came to mind just now is like, it's literally you giving this person like literal armor. Like yeah, every yeah. time you give them something, you're giving them a sword. You say something else, you you're giving them the shield. You you're saying are. something else, you're giving them a, a helmet with spikes. It's like, and they're going to yep. keep it and they will like learn, okay, well then how do I use this against you? And, yes. you know, and I'm, I'm, thank you for, for sharing about the, um, gray rock. Yeah. Gray rock, gray, yeah. The gray rock. And, and that makes sense. And I think, um, I picked up based on the method that it would be more suited for someone who was in a relationship with a narcissist yeah. as opposed to a parent. So, um, I'm grateful for your, you know, knowledge and expertise in sharing that because again, like our listeners might be a spouse of someone yeah. in a relationship with someone, it doesn't, you know, of course it's not always just a parent or a, a family member. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that you, that you shared that. And that makes yeah total sense. I want to say one thing, Lizzie, that you said about, you know, you're handing them a, a toolkit basically of weaponry. And, and here's the thing I think it's important for your listeners to know, because this is where it's seductive and spellbinding is even though you're giving them all this information and it sounds like to the listener right now that they're going to come back and, you know, and just like pummel you. No, they very well can come across like they're doing in a very charming, caring, oh, yeah. engaging way, you know, like they're coming from a space of concern. But again, if example, I got flowers today. I got flowers today because it's my birthday tomorrow. And when I, I didn't know, thank you. I didn't, and usually I actually don't tell people it's my birthday because I was raised in this environment of like, we don't, you know, who cares? It was sabotaging the holidays. So I usually don't oh even bring God. it up. But for the purpose of this story, so the doorbell rings, I'm surprised. There's this beautiful bouquet of flowers. And then the lady leaves, grab the flowers. And I look at, and I knew before I looked at the card, I knew who it was from. And instead of being like, oh my God, how sweet, how amazing. I was angry. I was irritated. I was so annoyed. I was like, this manipulative, blah, 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 you know? And if you have this immediate trigger and this immediate feeling over something that is supposed to be good, something that is supposed to be nice, like a lovely gift, this is an indication of the charming and the manipulation oh. that you're feeling innately inside. And, but you have this very opposite cognitive dissonant reaction. It's like, I should be feeling happy right now. Why am I feeling irritated and upset and annoyed? then more than likely the person that you're associating with is not operating from the space of pure positive intention. Wow. As in the case with the person I received the, the flowers from today. Yeah. That is so deep. And if I might, if I may like add something that just came to mind as well, are you familiar with the five love languages? Yes. 
One of yes. them is gift giving. And it's funny. For you? No. Oh, oh yes, yes. The gift giving. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny is, is that my like number five is gift giving because yeah. I always received gifts from mm-hmm. my mom, but then it would fall be followed by well, you know, because I bought you something, I didn't buy myself something. So you're welcome. Or I bought you this, oh, because yes. this is what I think that you should, you know, wear or how, you know, and it was this constant, like, look at how much I love you. I'm buying you all these things. Yep. But I never felt like it was coming from this like genuine place. I'm like, but I didn't even want this. Well, you're yeah. so ungrateful. How could you not yeah. want this? Like, maybe you don't know that you want it yet. I know before you know, so I'm yeah. telling you that you need this. And it's like, Mm, no, pretty sure I didn't, I didn't need or want this, but you know, and then again, so that's the spiral. But my point is, is that when you said like that you had this reaction when you received a gift, my top two, which I'm sure not a surprise is a highly sensitive empath, but like words of affirmation is my number one and physical touch is my number two. And my mom does not do words of affirmation Mm -hmm. or physical touch. So she and I on a literal, you know, like we did not speak the same language. And if her- If her, you know, version of love language is gift giving, and that's my number five, because I don't, for me, like, is it nice to receive a gift from anyone? It doesn't even just have to be from her. Yeah, of course. Like, it's nice to receive gifts. However, I do not feel unconditionally supported and loved when I receive a gift because I have this, you know, PTSD that if if I receive a gift, it means I owe you something back or that something coming back around. Right. You know, there's always like a hidden agenda. So I'm like, you know, I'd rather hear I'm supporting you. I believe in you. You're incredible. Mm. You've got this. You're amazing. You're unstoppable. My dad is um, that's one of his love languages, is you know, Mm -hmm. he's he's a words of affirmation and physical touch. But because Mm. going back to that competition, my mom also pit me against my dad. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that back up. That's important, this this triangulation. Oh my God. And against my family, by the way. I grew up not loving my family, not even wanting to talk to them. I kept myself so disconnected from them because, well, did you know that so-and-so did this to me and this person did this to me? And it was always like, but I've got you and you've got me and no one else matters. Like constant. So I was pit against my dad. I was pit against my family. And, and this is on purpose. This yeah. is very, yeah, this is on purpose. All that triangulation can be verbal like she did with the, um, the rumor spreading, the gossiping, the pointing oh. finger, the backstabbing. And we should, as human beings, be like, you know, if this person's saying all of this crap about other people, like, what do they say about me when I'm not around? Because they do, by the way. They absolutely do. Mm. And like you said, the gift giving laced with agenda, it's conditional. Mm. It is not unconditional. And that's why, you know, yeah, especially for HSPs and empaths or people just, you know, people that are not disordered, like, how come this gift doesn't feel good? Because there's something on the other side of it. And again, it's that aggrandizement. It's like, I'm putting myself on a pedestal. pedestal. Look how amazing and noble I am. I got you this gift. I thought about something that you didn't even think about for yourself. But you, you hit the nail on the head when we're not speaking the same love language and we're not even recognizing it in the other person constantly missing the mark. It doesn't matter how many times you speak up with someone who's disordered like this. Like actually, hey, whoa, this is not my love language. They're super not listening. They don't want to listen. They don't care because it is all about them. It really is. At the end of the day, it's just like, this is where I operate from. This is the space I operate from. And you're either going to get on this program or you're not. Something that happened with, I had my mom 
was, I always called her a duty mom. Like she was not affectionate, but she made sure all the meals were, you know, prepared and so on, sat down with me at homework, you know, for homework, made sure it was correct. But at the end of the day, I was starving emotionally. And I would be like, hey mom, like you don't kiss me, you don't hug me, you don't say I love you, you don't say I miss you. And it was just like flat, zero, nada. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I always had inside this sort of secret feeling that if I said or did anything wrong, and it wasn't because she told me this directly, but it was an energetic thing that she was sending out, that if I said or did anything wrong, she would cut me off and never speak to me again. I just had this intuitive, inherent feeling, and I didn't know from where it came. And here we are now. We don't. We are not in contact. And I swear, inside, I feel deep down inside, she doesn't care. Like, it's totally fine that she will never see her daughter again, which... Um, sort of blows my mind, but I also go, well, you know, this is the space that she operates from. And yeah, and I can't, I was so busy working on myself to try to be even more perfect or better or like go, hey mom, did I do this right? Like, is this cool? Do I have this down yet? So you don't ever go away? I was so busy on that, that in the end, <laughs> it still didn't matter because we are strange. And at the end of the day, my journey with self-help and self-love started when I was 18 and I went to university and went to a therapist mm -hmm. for the, the first time. Um, it didn't end there, obviously, but you know, there was something obviously calling out in me that, hey, something doesn't feel right at home. I always mm -hmm. called it the house of secrets and I didn't know why I couldn't put my finger on it. But wow. now years later, after all of this reading and all of this understanding and study, it's like, oh, that's why. And that's why it's important to make yourself your first home. Absolutely. That's so yeah. beautiful. This is like, I feel like we could keep talking for, for hours and hours and I absolutely love everything that we're sharing. And, and it's, it's great that even like the question about what is it like having a narc parent or a family member or partner, we like covered that as well. So that's yeah. great. So I, I always love to, you know, end the, the soul chats, giving our audience um, and our listeners a, um, a practical tool or, you know, something that they can start implementing today and, and also just empowering them with, with comfort. So, you know, as I know, we've kind of touched a little bit on some of these things, but you know, what are some, some ways that we can help ourselves and show ourselves love, um, today, yeah. you know, just to, yeah. to start, like, let's say that we've, we've gone through this whole conversation. We've identified who this person is in our lives. And now we're like, okay, so we know how to communicate with them, but how can I give myself, um, love and support? Yeah. I would start with writing out your non-negotiables and your deal breakers mm. and being very, very clear. You write out your definition of a happy, healthy, harmonious relationship and write down all of your values that are incorporated into that definition. So deal breakers, non-negotiables, definition of a happy, healthy, harmonious relationship. Then check all of your relationships against these three things. How are they doing? Are they in alignment? If there isn't alignment, going to those people and saying, hey, you know, these are my non-negotiables. These are my deal breakers. I see that, you know, it hmm, seems like deal breaker A is being broken. How can we fix this? If you feel that they are genuinely interested in getting to solution on board with you, great. Keep on going. Keep on trucking. If you feel like, whoa, big time resistance, mm, you might want to ask, can we redesign this alliance? And if so, how? However, if they're not going to meet you, then this is probably a relationship that needs to be released. You can love them from afar. You can bless them from afar. Nobody said they needed to physically be in your space. I love and bless my family every single day. I want them to be happy and healthy. We're not in relationship 
and that's totally okay in terms of us not being physically in contact and zero contact, by the way, not even email chat, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that I wish for them to be ill or not well. So that's something that your listeners can know. You can love and bless and spiritually wish them well from afar. The other thing I would say, and I'll leave you with this, is that a lot of your listeners are probably journaling. We talked about journaling today in our session here in this podcast to journal from different voices. So if you want to journal from the space of inner wounded child to be like, okay, I identify this. This is what happened. I recognize it. But then please follow up with journaling from your higher self, that space of love and wisdom, the space that is expansive, the space that's in alignment and on purpose from your soul and write notes to and from your higher self. Or you can even write letters from your future self. This the self that you see yourself being, you know, at your highest, most positive self three years from now, five years now and writing back to yourself, doing that in your journal and revisiting those journal entries, reading them out loud, read them out loud in the mirror, share it with someone that you trust so that way they can hold you accountable from operating from this space. That's beautiful. These are, that I love the three voices. That really like mm. made my whole like physiology just like, I almost felt myself mm. relaxing and you know, that's such a beautiful, um, visualization and, and to be able to send yourself like these love notes. I've been using the notes app um, ever since, you know, my, my first, you know, big powerful yeah. breakthrough. And although they're not written as like letters, there's still so much like raw emotion. And, yeah. and I think that without knowing it, they've also been sort of in three different voices, but they're all kind of meshed no. into one. So I think that, you know, um, for those of our listeners who, who might be suffering from OCD and maybe, you know, if it, if it helps you to kind of compartmentalize, cause I know this is something that, that I struggle with is having so many thoughts. I look at my yeah. brain, like a computer tab, you know, like an internet browser with all the tabs open. Yeah. So I'm like to help myself close them out. It's like, you know, to organize mm. it in the three voices and say, okay, these are the notes that I'm going to leave to myself yeah. as my wounded child. This is the notes, you know, and just so that that way you can also yeah. refer back to like very specific things depending on how it is that you're feeling and use your own letters as comfort for when you're feeling like yes. you, you know, you're anxious or sad or, you know, feeling those, those moments of self-doubt because they still, they still surface, but going through these different things that we've been talking about through this episode have really helped me. And I can say that I'm like so, so, so much more evolved. Um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything, you know, from, from where I was four and a half years ago, um, that, yeah. you know, I, I just also want to, want to share and really let our listeners like know that, you know, you're, if you've had these, these thoughts, you're not alone. If you relate yeah. to Lori's story, to my story, we understand you, we see you, we feel you, we hear you, you know, we're, we're here to support you. And all of this, brokenness is possible to, to heal, to recover, yes. you know, and, and the self-identity is, you know, your, your higher self is waiting to meet you, go and give her a hug, you know, show her love. She just wants to love you. Like I, I yeah. see my higher self is like this beautiful hippie mm. child with like beautiful, like long curly hair and flowers. And, you know, I, when I let her out of the closet and I was like, girl, come on, like you've been crying in there and I want to give you a hug. And just be there with you yeah. like that that yeah. is is the most incredible gift that you can give to yourself so mm. to all that you said and you know to our listeners like 
give yourself a hug. Yeah. <laughs> no. I love this. For, yeah. for those who have, you know, physical touch as their, as their, um, love, yeah. self, self-love language, um, mm. you know, just give yourself a hug, give yourself a massage. There's so many things that like we can buy on Amazon to like, you know, give ourselves the, the love yes. that we are craving. So Get, be your own battery. <laughs> yeah, for sure. and I love how visual you are. I love the internet compartmentalizing <laughs> the tabs. This is because guided visualization is also something to really anchor and seal that in and see you in that higher self, as well as to calm down the adrenaline and the trauma responses that we were raised with. So that coupled with all of the other things that we mentioned, including that anchoring, you know, that body work, that somatic work, because mm-hmm. disordered people get us into our heads and out of our intuition space. So the guided visualizations, like you see all of those things. I love this. It just prompted me to say, yeah, <laughs> I hope your listeners do that too. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lori, this was such an honor. I'm so grateful. This is such a beautiful Thank conversation. You. To my found family, I want to encourage you to go and show Lori all of your support and love. She is on Twitter. I know you have a website. What other social media platforms can you share with our... Ah, yeah. I should probably also spell my name because I spell it (laughs) L-A-U-R-I-E. Yeah, you you can find me at Life Coach Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E at Insta. And on Twitter, I'm getting that handle because somebody else has that handle. So next week, I should have Life Coach Lori as well. Okay, great. Well, this is your live next week, so (laughs) perfect. (laughs) But Insta is a perfect place to find me at Instagram at Life Coach Lori. Wonderful. And to my found family, yes, of course, all of Lori's links will be in the description of this YouTube video and of this podcast episode. So please go and share Lori, go, go show Lori support. Um, I'm so, so grateful for you. This has truly been like so wonderful. And I'm just, I'm feeling so great. It's like, go tackle the day and enjoy the rest of the the afternoon. So I hope (laughs) I'm sure that they are. Um, and yeah, thank you again so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and tune in next week for a new topic to help spread the good vibes. Please share this episode with friends and family, or if you share on social, be sure to tag me at coach Lizzie.